Today, all over the world, there are thousands of Sino-Soviet intelligence agents with money to burn, looking for unsuspecting targets for exploitation among members of our forces. There we go. You know, no I've problem. been, uh, I feel like I've been getting a lot of headaches lately, and usually my cure is sometimes just drinking like a soda or something, or like coffee, and for some reason it, that helps. Yeah, it, well, the that's a caffeine headache. It just, yeah. like, he, caffeine helps with headaches, um, like in, in aspirin and stuff, there's caffeine, there's like trace amounts of caffeine. Right. Um, but for me, it's like, I drink coffee like an ungodly amount, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying to be a philosopher king i guess so i drink a lot of coffee uh, <laughs> and um so that doesn't really help when it unless it's a caffeine he- induced headache um then when i drink coffee it'll help but mm-hmm. uh because i think my my headaches are like my because my job now is like it's like a real person job where it's just like staring at a computer all day and like answering phones yeah. and shit mm-hmm. so and i have glasses on so i think it's like eye strain Oh yeah, so it could be that. Um, but yeah, some things are worse than others. Yeah, I think Diana gets a uh, bad eye strain. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I do have to say before we start the pod proper, when we start talking about um the Communist Manifesto, uh, I was told recently, like by roommate, uh, <clears throat> that. She she was like, God, Matt orders a lot of books, right? Why does he order so many <laughs> books? And I said, my books are like how many books I order are directly proportionate to how sad I am. So like <laughs> if I have like a crap ton of books that I, I bought, it's because I'm the most sad. Mm-hmm. Like I, some, I found that to be right. true. Yeah. And sometimes you just get a little bit of dopamine or a little bit of uh, whatever it is or serotonin whenever you just get that. Whenever you just get that little <laughs> box in the mail and you're like, "Oh, here's my new book," and you get a, you get a brief happiness, and then and it kind of moves on. Yeah, and and also like what it, what it is is like when you see the books stacked up like completely, you know, when you say, "Okay, this is my to read pile," and it's just this oh. massive pile. You're like, "Oh fuck!" Like I <laughs> I probably should have finished right. some of these beforehand. Like <clears throat> I, uh, I set my Goodreads, so on Goodreads you can set your reading like how often you Mm -hmm. want to read and for this year i set it at 50 um i want to read 50 Mm -hmm. books this year and so i i all these books probably equal 50 books that i bought anyway but it's still like i have like over probably over 20 books on my to read pile so it's like you know it's it's kind of daunting when you look at them like on your desk yeah yeah it's uh it's just like a little (laughs) It's like the uh, the monster. It's like that. Uh, there was this meme that went around for a while, and it was like uh, this guy just. It says me enjoying myself, and he's just playing a video game or something. And there's just, just this just giant looming like purple fuzzy monster behind him that just says like obligations, uh, responsibilities, books I haven't read, and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've stopped playing video games. I've I've I I think I um I don't know if I'm done completely because like I cycle in and out of them so. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, uh, I think I might be done with video games forever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll I feel, see how like I feel. It, it sucks because I feel like I'm kind of doing that with 
uh, movies right now, to be honest. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I've sat down and... Yeah, that's what sucks is because I still love f- watching movies. But, like, honestly, I don't... I mean, nothing has come out, I guess. Just, like... I guess nothing really feels worthy of my time right now. I mean, it's kind of sad that... Well, it's not sad because technically the last movie I saw in movie theaters was Parasite. And if, if that's the last one, then it's I'm going out on a good one, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just... I don't... I haven't made time to watch a lot of movies. I mean, we watch we watch shows when we're, like, eating... We watch... We put Netflix on or something when we're eating dinner. But, like, other than that, we kind of just go about and do our own things. And... Um, yeah. I, sp- I, I spend an I've, I still spend I've, an ungodly amount of time on the internet, but like I'm not like I'm not probably reading books as much as I should be. I'll tell you what though, um, before we kick kick this off proper, I do have to say uh, something that will help that um, that uh, I haven't watched a movie in a minute. Like I need to go back and watch old movies. That's something that I found is actually like not like oh, movies yeah? you've seen. Yeah, like um, <clears throat> so right now I've found that this year. Uh, I'm going to try and finish people's like works. So for instance, like uh, the great Gatsby is my favorite book of all time. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never read, I've only read um, one of F Scott Fitzgerald's short stories besides the great Gatsby. And so now I bought his books. I actually have all of his, I have almost all of his books except for the last one. And I'm going to go through his like entire bibliography. And that's what I'm doing with films right now. No, no, like sure. all that's to say that is like recently yeah. I, I I watched every single Coen Brothers movie. So um right now I'm I'm watching all of Kubrick's movies. So it actually oh, okay. helps. I find that it helps like if you want to like get back into watching movies and if you're like damn I'm I'm just really fucking bored right now to find mm-hmm. like old older movies like 50s or 40s 50s 60s something like that or even 70s mm-hmm. you know like anything anything right. pre 2000s i would say is a good bet because they're like you know it's different and it's interesting it's when movies like could be made that aren't just like bullshit marvel stupid shit movies so it's like you know you, you like they're they're new and interesting and artful and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that even though they're like old so yeah i'd, I'd recommend that mm-hmm. speaking of kubrick uh did you know that Stephen King like does not like Kubrick's uh, Shining at all? Yes, I did know that actually. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious because like, um, I, I think that's a. The, I've never read The Shining, but I've heard that that actually like the the movie is a lot better than the book in that in mm-hmm. in a weird like twist of not fate, yeah. but like a weird like right. reversal. Yeah, yeah. That's a reversal of uh, norms. norms. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like um, the manifesto is not one that I felt like I had to. It didn't feel like a chore, and it's not like with all of the books that just keep stacking up and stacking up. You can kind of just like literally just slide this one out and kind of read it in a day. Oh yeah, um, I mean, I I read because like this is the full like disclosure for the book club listeners. Like this is the second time I've actually this is the third time I've read uh, the manifesto. Um, but mm-hmm. I read it. I read it in probably like an hour or two. I think. Like it wasn't that long. Yeah. Well, my I have a we bought a Kindle, and so mine mine was free on the Kindle. So like in front of me, I've just got my Kindle version. That's um, pretty funny, actually. That the the, the yeah, irony isn't lost on me yeah, for that yeah, one. I know. <laughs> so it, it it was free. I mean, I it, I don't I didn't want to go out and buy one. I was like, oh wait, I could just I could just it's here on the Kindle. I'll just download it. <laughs> so so that's what I did. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, so I've got a little bit of background info we can run through before we kind of just jump into what uh, the uh, communist ideas are that uh, Marx and Engels kind of uh, wrote into the manifesto. And I also wanted to say that a manifesto, by definition, it's just like right out of Wikipedia, is like a manifesto is like a written principle uh, guideline for like a, a, a political alignment like group or just people of a certain beliefs, you know, and these people get together and they determine that this is a certain set of codes and ethics to live by and then they basically jot it down and basically kind of like a constitution or just something along the lines of that but um Karl Marx and uh, Friedrich Engels wrote it and um or no it was published in uh 1848 um and they published it in London but Friedrich and uh Karl met in Paris because at one point Paris was like a big uh socialist thought hub and mm-hmm. so there was a lot of socialist thinkers there and um yeah that's kind of i mean i don't really know what else we can say other about it i mean they they befriended I, each other in paris and they were both yeah. Prussian, so that's I, all I, I can really say about it yeah i will say the only thing that i can say about the communist manifesto that like for for background info is that so he so they talk about so so what happens is is um carl and and carl marx realizes that um and and i guess you know he talks to Engels about this as well so Marx and Engels kind of realized that their socialist thought, like there's a lot of like there there has been co- like quote unquote communists, right? There've been communist mm. thinkers before, and he talks about how the like the word communist comes from like the 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 French commune, right? Which is like after yeah. the revolution, um, right? And he talks about like different French thinkers throughout the thing, but the thing that I can say is that he he says that like there hasn't been any concrete, like, this is what we believe. So we're putting it down. So Marx and Engels creates the, what is it? The working man's association. It's the, it's like this mm-hmm, big, right. I think that's what it, the workers of the, the, so, so it's basically like he's trying to get together the workers of the world and they're trying to create like this world communism um, type of thing. And yeah. so Marx and Engels write this, um, they meet with a couple different people and kind of like, um, I don't know. It doesn't really say who they meet with, um, but they like have this hold this meeting of like the, the, I think it's called the international. It's where like a bunch of communists get together and meet. And so they go to all these people go to England and they meet with uh, Marx and Engels and Marx and Engels jot this down. And this is their, this is what common, mm-hmm. like it's, it's their, it, it's a manifesto, right? It's like what they believe and like their, yeah, their thoughts on on communism as well um so i guess we can um oh i also want to say this uh, too uh, a little bit of background um knowledge for a little later on though is that in this he marks um kind of like when he's talking about the different communisms right like when he's saying like mm-hmm. this is this communism this is like this communism he talks about I think it's like utopian. I think it's when it's in utopian socialism. I, I can't remember which one it is, but he he talks about this um this uh, philosopher called Proudhon. Hon Proudhon. I can't really say his name. It's like Proud mm-hmm. and then H Hun, like Proud Hun. Yeah, it's like Proudhon or whatever. Anyway, so he's this socialist that um he writes this um he's a philosopher and he's a he's like a really early socialist and he writes this um this book and this is it's it's a really funny meme that's why i kind of wanted to bring it up but uh he writes this book called the philosophy of poverty and it talks mm-hmm. about like like people in poverty and then marx gets pissed off and writes this book called the poverty of philosophy 
<laughs> so um there's this funny there's this funny like meme of uh it's like a Yu-Gi-Oh meme where it's like Kai buddy like it's like proud hone and it's like he has the card in his hand and he's playing it and it says like the uh philosophy of poverty and then it's like you getting smiling and he flips over his trap card and it's like Karl Marx <laughs> and it's like the, it's like a reversal right. and he's like what yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's that yeah. meme yeah it's the, um, the first version of that meme I saw was the uh if it was like if if Bush is a war criminal then so is Obama and he's like okay yeah <laughs> you know or it's like I agree with you yeah I agree it's like ah like leftist yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so like, let's go ahead and talk about um, the Communist Manifesto. Like we said earlier, it's it's a very short work. It can take you like an afternoon to read it. Honestly, it's not that long. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe sixty something pages or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we we just want to gonna go through like the entire thing and just kind of like you know before our, before we give Marks just a little bit of a breather. Uh, on the book club or just decided mm-hmm. to to do the do the Jordan B. Peterson uh reading of the Communist <laughs> <Yeah>. Manifesto. <laughs> that was that was against uh that's when he did uh, the debate with Zizek, right? Yeah. And <laughs> see like what's funny is like I almost pulled a I was reading it and I, I was like doing other things. Like I was reading it and I was like okay I kind of want to like watch something or whatever. And I was like should I pull a Jordan B. Peterson? But like no I actually sat down and reread it. <laughs> so right. Unlike Peterson, who skimmed through the sixty-something pages, so. um, yeah, yeah okay, so a pamphlet, <laughs> yeah, whatever, <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess we could start off with like the very first opening line, which is the mo- probably the most. Fa- it, it's it, there's the two most famous lines in this entire mm-hmm. um, work is the opening line and the closing line, and the opening line, of course, is a specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, I don't know if we'll ever do this on the the book club or not. But Derrida has a book called Specters of Marx, where he talks about how Marxism is still a thriving ideology, and uh, uh, he talks about how this line is this most like he he talks about how how this line is very interesting because like a specter uh in this case can mean and i think i already said this on maybe the last pod but a a specter in this case can be um something that is haunting you but something from the future as well so a specter can both both be the past and the future so it's like the specter that is haunting europe which is a specter of communism Mm -hmm. is this looming threat from both the past and the future right yeah um that that's a that's i mean that's i don't you don't see better uses of metaphors like that in a lot of writing today you know right um, yeah and it's uh we just kind of jump right in and say that he he wants to kind of lay the groundwork and i think they do a really good job of laying the groundwork of making you helping you understand that there has been an order through you know he says through recorded history you know it's history is a constant uh lesson of class struggle between you know the bourgeois and the proletarians yeah the the first the very first mm -hmm. part in the bourgeois and proletarians section which is section one is the history of all hitherto existing society is the history Mm -hmm. of class struggles Mm -hmm. and um i like that he's really good at putting things into it uh 
I mean, not only laying the groundwork, but not only does he lay the groundwork for something, but he also kind of helps you jump to a, he kind of helps you have, have those aha moments along the way. And he, one thing that I think stopped me in my tracks and made me think was how he said that the bourgeois are like, uh, the bourgeoisie, they're like, they're a, they, they value the progress of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you know, we talked about manufacturing of capital and just the general labor workforce. And, but I think when he says manufacturing, you know, he, he basically is just referring to the means of production and um, the, the creation and machine of a forward moving, you know, generating society where what something like something has to be something a a thing has to come out of society or like we have to put a value on something a commodity that that is pushed around Mm -hmm. and distributed and um he's basically saying right off the bat that the bourgeoisie and capitalism control that flow of our um, economic system Um, right he he has a footnote so the edition I, I have has a lot of the um, updated footnotes as well. And Ingalls actually writes a lot of these footnotes um, afterwards. Um, and he talks about, Ingalls talks about, um, interestingly enough, so, so in this first section called Bourgeois and Proletarian. Well, actually, hold on. Let me, oh. let me go back just a little bit to the, to the intro of the Communist Manifesto. Um, I, I do want to say something that's interesting that he talks about is how Communism is a power, like in the time he's writing, communism is a power in Europe, um, right? Because like uh, it's all all the European powers have said that communism itself is a power. But he says, um, and this is, I think this is really important. Um, I think it's actually happening now in the uh, reverse, though. Um, You know, I can probably expand on those ideas. But it says, uh, where is the party in opposition that has not been denounced as communistic by its opponents in power? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then going on to the back to the section one of bourgeois and proletarians. Okay, so this is what he means by bourgeois. Like this is we you get this you get this like you get this thing where people argue all the time. Like, what's the difference between the bourgeoisie and it, it's mm-hmm. it's very easy to distinguish. Like, if you're a Marxist, the bourgeoisie, the bourgeois is the people in the class of modern capitalists, owners of the means of social production and employers of wage labor. So by in today's, in today's terms, that's like big business and corporations. Right. And then he says by yeah. the proletarians, it's the, uh, the people, uh, let's see the people in the class of modern wage laborers who having no means of production of their own are reduced to selling their labor in order to live. So here's the, here's the thing, Right. Breaking society down into just bourgeoisie and proletarians, Marx doesn't make a distinction of him saying those are the only classes. In fact, like the, one of the big things about this later on is he talks about the peasant class, right? They're, the peasant class right. aren't proletarians. The peasant class doesn't really exist anymore in American society, right? Right. Um, but the peasant class isn't... <clears throat> proletariats like that's an important distinction to make it doesn't mean that they're bourgeoisie and by saying that someone isn't a proletariat doesn't mean that they're bourgeoisie there's a difference right so for instance like michael jordan well i guess that's a bad michael jordan when he first started playing for the bulls right when he first got drafted out of north carolina or whatever and started playing professional basketball and started making big money 
has mm. more in common with a rich business owner than a proletariat. But mm. he's not Michael Jordan at that time, at least, wasn't part of the bourgeoisie. He mm-hmm. is upper class and he has more in common with the bourgeoisie than the proletariat, right? right. But he's not the bourgeoisie. There's a difference because Michael Jordan sells his his labor, right? His basketball playing is his labor and makes the money for um, Jerry Reinsdorf, right? Which is the owner of the Bulls. So right. Jerry Reinsdorf is the capitalist in, in that relationship, whereas Michael Jordan is the, the quote unquote proletariat. But he's not... He's he doesn't like have as much in common with the proletariat as he does with the, the capitalists. It's like I think that's right. an important distinction to make, especially now, is that like no, Marx doesn't just break them down into two classes, mm-hmm. but the classes that have the most antagonism is the bourgeoisie and the proletarians, because the proletariats, they are the ones who are exploited by the bourgeoisie, by the capitalists, to make money. Right. So yeah, that, I think that's important. Yeah. That, um, the only the only weird thing about that example is that basketball is just kind of like a. It's just like a. a not that it's not laborious, but it's just a sport. You know, it's it doesn't like drive like. The only thing it does is create a market, uh, like a sports consumer market. This is really mm-hmm. what sports are. It's like they don't. They're not a politically. Uh, moving or all it does is kind of keep capital in an economy really is is what it is but um they yeah, they, they don't have they don't have any product like uh they don't have any productive value of its own in fact it's like um uh basketball is a use value uh i would probably say if we're like we're doing a marcus marxist critique of sports it would probably be that sports aren't productive insofar as they're they're as productive as like arts right like it's like a like uh, books and stuff like that, essentially. Right. Um, like sports are, are entertainment. They're, you know, um, great feats of athleticism. So like a Marxist critique of that would be just like, but they're not like socially productive right. towards society, right. even though they, it could be, we could make an argument that they are for the good of society because it, you know, sponsors like comradeship and camaraderie and stuff like that. But, but right. for, for, for the, the sports, um, that are like they're they're multi-billion dollar teams right they make money because people buy the memorabilia they buy tickets to the games they get whatever and without the players like you don't have a sport so um, right. i think that's the the main difference and, and i want to i want to go back to something else maybe i don't know if this is what you said because i think i was talking over you by accident but did you say that uh and if you did if you didn't say it it's okay because i'm gonna say it now can, or did you say that a a, a a capitalist doesn't have to be the bourgeoisie bourgeois, but a bourgeois has to be capitalist? Would you say um, that? Yeah, I I said that. Um, or something I, like that. I think I said that on like another episode. I think I said something along along those lines. Yeah, like um, I don't remember what it was now though. That was that's the that's the bad thing about fucking getting older, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So like you know. Uh, and wouldn't I mean like a board? I feel like a board, a board, the bourgeoisie. It has to like it has to be capitalist, right? Because if it wasn't, and it was the, all, the that exact was it. opposite. All bourgeoisie are capitalists, but not all capitalists are bourgeoisie. Because it, even though mm. the 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 um the the bourgeoisie, right? Even though the capitalists uh, and bourgeoisie can 
can technically be like equal in that regard. Like, right. If you're looking at a, like a plant, like a planner graph or whatever, and you're, they're mm-hmm. like on the same level, uh, a capitalist is a person who, um, has capital, right? So you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily on the rank of like a bourgeoisie. If you just simply have capital because, because home can be considered because property can be considered capital. Right. Yeah. Property and, and the ultimate capitalist, and we, we, we said it in capital, but they, um, you know, their, their, their soul is the embodiment and, uh, it, it carries on more capital. So like a true, like pure blood, a pure blood capitalist is going to could, could figure out a way to create more capital. And I, I've, I listened to a guy, uh, on a, on like a dumb, uh, podcast listen to it's uh it's just a radio talk show sports where they do all kinds of sports and, and they do wrestling and stuff like that but this one guy uh said i'm a capitalist in the sense that uh i do things to make i i use my money to figure out ways to make more money yeah like he's like he is he's fully aware that that is a his capitalist side and like right. it's funny because he the type of person he is you wouldn't even think he was a capitalist because he's so giving and he like, he uplifts other people on his show. And like, he's so, uh, you know, he, not to say like he has a means of production. I don't even think he has like a team. I just think he, he's an entrepreneur in the sense that he like creates something and then gets it going and sells it. And then just continues to do that over and over again. And like, um, in that sense, he's he's not bourgeoisie, but he is a capitalist in that sense. You have to, you have to realize too, though, that like, the biggest thing that I always say is that it, you, you know, like, uh, like people t- like to point to Bill Gates and stuff as like a giving, right? Like he gives a lot to charity. And of course, mm-hmm. like those are tax write offs and you can kind of say that to people. But the thing that I always say is that like, yeah, you can give like your money to people and you can kind of like do this thing, but you're also, if as a capitalist, you, you are stealing money from from people there mm. i you know i i used to always say there's no like the I, I don't feel bad about like consumption of like products or whatever because there's no ethical consumption right like there there right. is no because like everything is made like unethically is what i always say um but the mm. thing about it is like if you're a capitalist you are directly exploiting people and the thing about it is like people don't realize that either like like people who are capitalists, they don't, they think money just magically appears like people who, right. who talk about like communism and they're like, Oh, well you just want to take away everyone's money. It's like, well, no, the capitalist is doing that. Like money doesn't just magically yeah. appear. It doesn't just magically get created. What happens is, uh, the worker generates that value. And then the capitalist steals that value. Like, like legitimately, yeah. like they take, they take not only what they put in, but they take more and more and more, you know? Um, if, the, if, if you're a bad capitalist, then, you're not well a bad capitalist wouldn't exploit like a bad capitalist is somebody that would use their capital to and then like evenly and fairly distribute that capital amongst you know like his 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 he would understand that his labor is no more important than the labor of his his under his understudies or whatever or his laborers a bad so, capitalist would do like the ethical thing right which is like well, it's not, right. you know, it's, he, the thing about it is, is like Mark said in capital, it's like, instead of paying money to make more money, just like paying a hundred dollars to make $105, right? Like he would pay a hundred dollars right. and, and get a hundred dollars back because the, the, the worker, 
you know, generated right. him that, that profit. But instead, the capitalist takes a lot. You know, he takes instead of the hundred, he takes the hundred and five because it yeah that extra right. five was generated on the back of a worker. You know, so right. And I um, want to and to kind of connect what my point was. I think between the the bourgeois and a, and a capitalist, um, like what my uh, this quote came from the second section, but I can't believe I can't remember uh, what the name of the section was. Um, do you know what the name of the second section was? I just know I pulled it from the second section. Uh, yeah, it's so. So the first section is called uh, bourgeois and proletarians, and the second one's called proletarians yeah. and communists. Right. Okay. So, like, let's say so capitalists. A lot of uh, not every capitalist has a a. Um, well, let me just read the quote first, and then I'll explain it. So the quote is. Uh, to be a capitalist uh, is to no longer have not just a personal, but also like social popularity and connections is, I guess mm -hmm. what I, another word would say you have connections amongst the bourgeoisie. Yeah. And so like the board, the bourgeois, the bourgeois will continue to have networks through other bourgeois because that's, that's just their, like their material world. That's their capitalist world. They, that's, that's, that's the environment. And that's the uh, collective area that they're in is just, they're surrounded and, you know, to, to a normal person to them is would be conceived to us by somebody like, I don't know, they, they see normal people differently than we would see a normal person because, you know, the material conditions are so different. But basically saying that, uh, yeah, they have social popularity amongst manufacturing and people in the, in the big uh, the big markets of the world and the, the big uh, people who have influence in the economy, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and that capital is a collective product and it's handiest by the united movement of many members, um, you know, using uh, united action. Wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. I think I missed because well, I guess he just uses hotel as a metaphor, but he says capital is collective product and handiest by the united movement of many members, nay, in the remaining hotel, and handiest by using the united action of all the contributors of society, uh, can set it in motion. So basically you know these people who are all connected and but you don't have to be a capitalist doesn't necessarily mean you're well connected i think the bourgeoisie are people who are well connected and those people like uh you know a lot of people think that the, the big i think the big QAnon belief right the big conspiracy theory is, is like um like they believe that a certain group of weirdos controls like the entire flow of our world or something like that yeah i don't know what those full details are but it's the it's like, the deep state, right? It's the yeah, the, yeah. They believe the that like a a very small cult is what drives forward literally every little thing. Somehow drives forward every little thing that we do and say. Um, it's kind of like the Illuminati thing, right? Like Q is Q is essentially right. saying that like it's a small subset of like ne'er do wells, whereas like right. the 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 actual the actual truth is much more horrifying, and it's that all of our leaders are um, just fucking uh, you know pedophilic yeah. pedophilic <laughs> fucking uh, yeah. opportunist dickheads. Like, and I'm talking about everyone. Like, fucking yeah. group in yeah, the squad that's, with that's that as well. That. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is like the bourgeoisie, like they they think they think that the bourgeoisie or or our our version of the bourgeoisie and what they think they're the the crazy people, who, cold people who rule the world. It's actually yeah, like you said, it's far more terrifying because it's actually just a bunch of like suit pe people in suits that are kind of weird and pervy and old and yeah, pedophiles. Don't and actually don't you know they don't AKA live Congress in, people. Yeah, exactly and it's a lot more terrifying in that sense. And those, 
I mean, that's who we would consider the bourgeoisie, right? Uh, no, the, the, they're, they're arbiters of the bourgeoisie. They're, they're outside of the bourgeoisie. That's what I was saying. Like, just because you're not part of the, the class doesn't mean you're, you're oh, okay. allied. Yeah, yeah. So like right, the, right. the public servants wouldn't be part of the bourgeoisie, but the, the Congress is, is, well, I mean, some of them are the bourgeoisie, like yeah, Kelly, Kelly Leffler is the bourgeoisie. Nancy Pelosi is the bourgeoisie, right? They, they own, yeah. they own a lot of capital and they have a lot of capital and they are capitalists right all of them are capitalists uh but they're like more arbiters they're arbiters of the law for the bourgeoisie because they make they make bourgeois laws because they're bourgeois they they're not they're not the bourgeoisie but they are bourgeois politicians um so i want to say this too like let's go back to the beginning so talking about the bourgeois and the proletarian section um I, i want to say this um in the nicest way possible uh, with regards to people who never fucking have read any communist literature or um, always say stupid things about communism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Marx, when he says the, you know, the history of society is the history of class struggle, he's not talking about co- capitalism hasn't always existed. I always right. say this. The thing is like, he talks about, he says, Freeman and slave, Patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, mm-hmm. oppressor and oppressed. So mm-hmm. he says that this has happened. He said in the earliest epochs in history, we find almost everywhere a complicated arrangement of society into various orders, a manifold gradation of social rank. In ancient Rome, we have patricians, knights, plebeians, slaves. In the Middle Ages, feudal lords, vassals, guildmasters, journeymen, mm-hmm. apprentices, serfs, and almost all of these particular classes, again, other subordinate gradations, right? The right. modern bourgeois society that has sprouted from the ruins of feudal society has not done away, uh, done away with class antagonisms. It has only established new classes, new conditions of oppression, new forms of struggle in place of the old ones. So the thing that Marx says and you have to like realize this, like especially like if you're if you're going to talk about any type of like, uh, le- quote unquote leftist, like Marxist, communist, socialist, whatever you want to call it under the sun. If you want to talk about like a a Marxian economic analysis or or anything like that, you have to realize that when he says the history of struggles, class struggle, he's not talking about classes in the the traditional sense that we think of like worker and owner, bourgeois and proletarian. He's talking about the fact that there has always been this struggle, there's always been the oppressors, and there's always been the oppressed. But what happens is in capitalism, which did, <clears throat> which I tell everyone when they're like, oh, you're just a utopian, like you think there's going to be some communist revolution and whatever. I'm like, well, we didn't think that we could overthrow the divine right of kings until we cut mm-hmm. their heads off. Right. Which right. is why people, why all these like kind of cringy people say, get the guillotine, whatever, like cut, cut, yeah. eat the rich, all right. that type of stuff. Because yeah. what happened was, you know, the Jacobin Revolution, right, in France, and then there's, like, you know, this overthrow of feudal society where the divine right of kings didn't matter anymore because the society, you know, sprung up around that. And what happened was capitalism came, and that's it, it arose out of this old middle age system, right? So there's there right. are still class antagonisms, though. And he even talks about later on, I don't remember where it is, but he talks about how the bourgeoisie um, are... Uh, 
they actually supported the overthrow of kings because then they became the new kings, essentially. Um, let's see. He also says, uh, this is important too. This is like, if, if we're going to talk about the globalists, right? <laughs> the <laughs> modern industry has established the world market for which the discovery of America paved the way. Um, so Marx talks about how um, manufacturing hits this like industrial revolution point. It mm-hmm. becomes what happens is capital becomes this world market. Um, and he says that um, we see therefore how the modern bourgeoisie is itself the product of a long course of development of a series of revolutions in the modes of production and of exchange. So um, what happens is there was this big development in Industry, commerce, navigation, railways, all this stuff. And what happens is that it allows the the bourgeoisie to develop and increase its capital. Um, and so all of these these advancements um happen and they 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 pave the way for this um this uh this world market essentially. That mm-hmm. instead of like having natural, like, like, um, not natural, um, having community produced or not na- even national produced, you have this world produced thing where people, you know, from all around the world want products. So it actually just, you know, capitalism just essentially clamps its teeth down on the fucking arm of the world because of this like increased mm-hmm. globalization. And he talks about, like I said, in, in the in, in that quote, he talks about how America is actually the impetus for uh, a lot of this globalization, the discovery, mm-hmm. the the quote unquote discovery of America, right? Like right, the yeah. the European discovery of America, I guess would be a a good way of saying it. Um, and he says that, and this is great. This is what we just talked about. Here's a quote. You ready for mm-hmm. it? And this, th- let me tell you mm-hmm. something. This quote is very prescient now with all the shit that happened at the Capitol. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. The executive... So, so I know where to flip it. Do you know where it is? Oh, it's in the first section. I don't... I have a, I have a physical copy yeah, of the book, I so I don't... I can't really pinpoint it for you in, in, without, you know... Yeah, okay, um, well, just go ahead and read it. It says, The executive of the modern state is but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, the bourgeoisie, wherever it has got the upper hand, has put an end to all feudal, patriarchal, idyllic relations. It has piteously torn asunder the motley feudal ties that bound man to his, quote, natural superiors, unquote, and has left remaining no other bond between man and man than naked self-interest and callous, quote, cash payment, unquote. Mm. So let's so how so connect that to the the capital. So are you saying that um, these people so, act, these, these riots at the capital are, are they're not happening as a, like as a uh, an actual movement? It's almost like they're just working at like the at the discretion of like the bourgeoisie. Is no, I was saying I was saying the arbiters. So so Congress right is is the, the 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 congress people are like arbiters of bourgeois laws they are right, right you know they're not like 
AOC is not your fucking friend, right? Like it's not. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. That's the biggest thing. But also that, that, that last point, you know, um, that I made was a little disconnected. It was a little, you know, not of the same ilk. Right, but right, right, right. The thing is like, what happens is you, you have this, this disillusion of social bonds between men and men, and you have nothing but naked self-interest. So then the, the only recourse of action for these people who have been alienated to the nth degree is to go and storm the Capitol, right? Which is to, to, Oh yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's, you know, that's, um, that's, a, there, so, yeah, yeah it's, that's these people are, and that's, that's one thing I, I was, I, I'm not on, uh, I kind of, I'm kind of unplugged a little bit now. So I, I haven't been all over the discourse on Twitter or anything, but I'll go on Instagram every once in a while. And I don't follow a lot of like, I don't follow a lot of thinkers on Instagram. You know, I just mainly use Instagram for stupid shit. And also my family is the only, the only social media that my family also uses that I use is uh, Instagram. But anyway, well, like, yeah, I saw this one take that was like, um, the, I can't remember who said it, but the, the problem that the underlying issue that we're seeing here that just is, it's hard to, it's hard to help people understand because, you know, they themselves are, alienated but like they see these other people at they see these other people at the at the at the capital riots and in a way like they think they're they don't think those people are alienated like those they think those people are like um they they think they actually i'm trying to maybe they they think they know what they're doing, you know, but like we're so, a lot of those people don't know what they're doing, you know. We're so atomized now, right? Like we're so we're reduced to our smallest common denominator, which is the self. There's no sense of community anymore. There's no sense of camaraderie, hardly ever. And so what, and all of our social institutions are dissolving. So what they see is they see a bunch of quote unquote, stupid redneck, dumb Trump supporters. And then they're just like, look at these dumb maggot chuds. It's good that they get killed. And it's like, well, no, those people, you have more in common with those people than the people that they're fucking <laughs> exactly. targeting, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm not condoning yeah, exactly. it either way. I'm just saying like you have more in common with the MAGA chud than you do Nancy Pelosi trust on that. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really reflective of how like alienated we are because I mean, with, with the only footage I've seen, like, I mean, there were like, there were just like individuals walking around and it's pretty, it's, it's pretty remarkable because now that I think about it, it's really like, it's, I'm having that aha moment. But like, what you, you didn't see like a collection of people just taking up every fucking square foot of the Senate or the Congress floor or whatever. There were just a couple of dudes like taking pictures with their cell phones. You know, like it was just, oh, I'm here inside the Capitol. Let me take out my phone so I can further myself and reinforce, you know, the, right. the individual. And they're like, oh, look, I'm going to take my phone out because I'm living in this moment by myself. I'm not. Yes, yes, you exactly. Know yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Not- that's a great, that's a great point. You're, that's a fantastic yeah. point, Austin. The, 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 the reaffirmation of self as self that they're yeah, exactly. going through is that they're, they're storming the Capitol, right? Which is a, a, yeah, exactly. a political exactly. action, but they don't view it as a political action. They view it as a, a selfie moment because selfies are the reaffirmation of self as existing. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, you that's need, incredible. You need people, that's you, a great you, point. You need people with cameras around just to record it. But like, right. like the, the footage that I saw of the actual 
the people, the media people that were in there recording it all, the people they were recording were also just recording shit. Like it's yeah. like we're all just doing we're all just doing shit for our own selves. Right. And so, but and that's just that's how alienated we are. Is that these people, right. these few people that got in there. They weren't like, they didn't round up together. They didn't say, hey, everybody come here. Okay, this is what we're going to do next. Let's, let's, let's pick a leader and, and follow his ideas because we, we listen to that ideas. No, we just, we all agree that we all want to do something stupid and we all want to do this for Mr. Trump. So we're all just going to go in here and record and say, hey guys, I'm in here for Mr. Trump. You guys should be here too. But they're all right. doing that. Like they're not talking to each other or anything. Right. Yeah. Damn, that's an incredible point. That's great. I, that's I didn't even think yeah. of that. That's a great point. Yeah, it's the so yeah, self affirmation of self. Yeah, there you go. So that's the perfect tie-in. And and so yeah, and then Marx talks about how capitalism gets rid of you know the ecstasies of religious fervor. It get rid of chivalrous enthusiasm, of philistine sentimentalism, and he says that it's all in the icy. It gets rid of all that in the icy water of egotistical mm-hmm. calculation. Mm-hmm. Which this is this is a great. Here's a great part. The bourgeoisie has stripped off its halo. Uh, every occupation hitherto honored and looked up to with reverent awe. It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science mm-hmm. into paid paid wage laborers. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. It, it's true. Yeah. It, it really, you yeah, know, it's, it, it's it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't stop being, it doesn't stop being relevant, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, what you've pulled out of the first chapter is really, I mean, it, what I said earlier kind of just lays the groundwork for what basically to def- make it specific, uh, you know, making it clear that there's a difference between a proletariat and somebody who just, you know, works for a living and people who represent those different parties or those two different groups, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and then the second, cha- the second part, uh, part two, um, title proletarians and communists and how they relate and stand to the proletarians in, uh, as the entirety um, and he says uh, communists do not shape a separate party opposed to different operating class events mm-hmm. um, they, ha- they don't have any pastimes uh, separate and apart from the ones of the proletariat as an entire so like they're they're not super different you know they, they're not um, they're not different in the sense that they're not like a different type of human being or they don't I, they don't share the same ideas and don't like enjoy doing the same different things. Um, they do, they do not installate install. Yeah. Installation of any sectarian, yeah, sectarian ideas of their personal by, by means of which to shape and mildew the proletarian movement. Um, communists were prominent from the opposite operating class events by means of this only, um, the countrywide struggles of the proletarians, of the exclusive international locations. They factor out and bring to the front the common pastimes of the whole proletariat, independently of all nationality. And two, um, they do it in numerous stages of development, which is uh, war of the working class towards bourgeoisie. Um, yeah, and they constantly, anywhere, represent the hobbies of the motion as a whole. Um, the language there is a little weird. Um, um, especially when he's just talking about pastimes and hobbies. Yeah. Um, but I guess, I guess he's trying to find a common ground between them is basically what he's saying. Like uh, a communist and proletarian, like they, they do and say the same things and maybe share the same ideas. Is that what he's saying? 
Um, I think he kind of like in this, I was, I was still, I'm still on the first part um, a little bit. I'm still kind of hung up on that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in that, that section in section two, let me turn to it real quick. I think he's talking about um, how communists further politically. Yeah. So there's working class parties, right? Mm-hmm. Um and he says that they have no, yeah, you said they have no interest separate and apart from the, those of the proletariat right. as a whole. They do not set up any sectarian principles of their own by which to shape and mold. Okay. So what he's talking about here is that communists aren't necessarily, um, proletarians aren't necessarily communists, right? Obviously. Like, right. Right. So, but the communists have no, um, they have no interests apart from the proletarian as a whole. So even, even proletarians who aren't, and this is what I keep saying. Like if you have Medicare for all, I'm sorry, but the, your racist Trump supporting uncle who works down at the, the killing of the horse factory that makes glue, he's going to have Medicare too, because he's a pro he's a, he's a, uh, you know, a human being and he deserves to, to be taken care of. And that's the thing that Marx is saying here in terms of communists versus, uh, you know, in terms of like communists as a political, um, you know, a political force, a political party versus the proletarians as a class, not versus, but, you know, with regards to proletarians as a class, because, um, you know, some of the proles aren't going to have communist ideas, but the the communists are going to further, the they're going to have the same interests as the proles, right? The proletarians. Um, and there's uh, no, yeah, that's the point of the manifesto. What one of the underlying, you know, kind of connections is to say that a communist should reinforce the interests of the proletarians as a whole, the entire proletariat independent of all nationality. So, so the thing about it is like, um, yeah, and so in the second part of that, he says in the various stages of development that the struggle of the working class against the bourgeoisie has to pass through, they always mm-hmm. and everywhere represent the interests of the movement as a whole. So um, regardless of whether the proletariat in this instance, the working class proletariat in this instance is from, you know, uh, from modern or at the time that Marx was writing this modern day France versus like a, a quote unquote, like, you know, third world nation or whatever, because they're still in different process of historical developments. The, the communist is wanting to in wanting to represent the interests of the proletariat as a whole in every mm-hmm. developmental stage. Um, right. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's interesting. I did want to, um, I, yeah, did I will you have con- something in the first section that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say my two favorite quotes from the entire work, which is, um, so he talks mm-hmm. about, um, let's see, where is it at? Oh, I just lost it. I think. Okay. Um, so he talks about, so Mark's actually, um, he actually respects capitalism. In this regard, he says that, like, talking about capitalism, he says it, it's um, has been the first to show what man's activity can bring about. 
is accomplished wonders far surpassing Egyptian pyramids, Roman aqueducts, and Gothic cathedrals. It has conducted expeditions that put to shame all former exoduses of nations and crusades. But this is the here's the big kicker. As he says later on, he says, um, capitalism, he says, all that is solid melts into air, all that is holy is profane, and man is at last compelled to face his real conditions of life and his mutual relations with a sober eye. So he respects capitalism on the one hand and then he, you know, tears it down with the other, right? Because obviously, like, it, it makes complete sense. But yeah. Um, and just like, he talks about how in the first section, he talks about there's an epidemic of overproduction, um, which is like a, a lot of people talk about that. Um, there's too much overproduction. There's too much civilization, too much means of subsistence, too much industry, too much commerce. Um, they all have to deal with the the uh, fluctuations of the market. Uh, uh, <laughs> so capitalism takes away all individual character and consequently all charm for uh, work for the workmen. Mm. Um the uh, proletarians are enslaved by the machine, by the foreman, and above all, by the individual bourgeois manufacturer himself. Um, and then he talks about the different kinds of bourgeoisie. He said there's the bourgeoisie, the landlord, the shopkeeper, the pawnbroker, etc. Right. Then there's the lower strata of the middle class, which is the small tradespeople, shopkeepers, and retired tradesmen generally, the handicraftsmen and farmers. And he says all of these sink gradually into the proletariat, partly because their diminutive capital does not suffice for the scale on which modern industry is carried on. Thus, the proletariat is recruited from all classes of the population. I have to say this before, mm -hmm. and we'll we'll move on to section two um, and, and talk about that more in depth. I have to say this, um, I, and I talk about this all the time. Um, the 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 furthering of a communist project is and, and when people talk about communism as this big spooky thing that's like akin to fascism because mm -hmm. it like kills people the thing is like the difference between fascism is fascism is like a, a power that uh, like a power holding thing that exerts its power in the form of like nationalism or more specifically like ethno nationalism right where it's like my ethnicity is superior to yours regardless of like mm. you know what that is so so fascism kind of exerts itself in that way. It's like a to totalitarian thing. Whereas communism, on the other hand, obviously it's not, um, in, in, according to Marx, it shouldn't be necessarily totalitarian. Mm -hmm. and, right. But also, um, people choose to be bourgeoisie. You know, you, yeah. don't, you don't choose your, your race. You, you know, to a certain extent, you don't necessarily choose your religion or whatever. But like, mm -hmm. you can always not exploit people which oh, is yeah. like what yeah. what uh well, it's, it just goes it, back into capitalism just being the most unnatural thing ever you know yeah and and here's okay so fucking best part of section two it's like literally the second page of section two mm -hmm. he talks about how modern bourgeois private property is the most complete expression of the system of producing and appropriating products that is based on class antagonisms on the exploitation of the many by the few. Mm -hmm. And he talks about like, we have, we communists have been reproached with the desire of abolishing the right of personally acquiring property as a fruit of man's own labor, which 
Property is alleged to be the groundwork of all personal freedom, activity, and dependence. Hard-won, self-acquired, self-earned property. Do you mean the property of the petty artisan and the small peasant, a form of property that preceded the bourgeois form? There's no need to abolish that. The development of industry Mm -hmm. has, to a great extent, already destroyed it and is still destroying it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. What he talks about in the abolition of, of property is property that creates capital. It's property yeah. that exploits wage labor. Mm-hmm. So he talks about that, and that's that's important. Like if you're if you're communist, you're not gonna get rid of Ma and Paul's like fucking crab shack. You know, you're not gonna <laughs> like steal their steal their house. Mm-hmm. You're going to take yeah. something like like capital pro- uh, acquiring property. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're gonna um well, you, you know, know, I- I was yeah, gonna. Go I, that's what. I, that's what I was gonna jump into is like the arguments about like, and he goes into it, and I think this is at the end of section two, or maybe it goes into the next session, but where he talks about the measures of like how to eliminate these oppressive ideals of capitalism, and that's basically like uh, the ten measures, uh, you know, about where he talks about free education for kids, uh, uh, you know, heavy graduated profit tax and shit like that. Um, yeah, let me see here. I think uh, that's section two. Yeah, Yeah, so it's abolition of property and land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Right. The heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Abolition of all rights. Confiscation Mm -hmm. of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national Mm -hmm. bank with state capital and and an exclusive monopoly. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. Extension of facts factories and instruments of production owned by the state, the bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil soil generally in accordance with a common plan, equal liability of all to labor, establishment of industrial Mm -hmm. armies, especially for agriculture, combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the population over the country and free education for all children in public schools Abolition of children's factory labor in its present form and combination of education with industrial production, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Right. So I guess uh, I wanted to, that's really what I wanted to kind of break down very heavily in this section. So like when these people say like, what, what would a, and it's going to be hard to kind of put it in terms because when you want to really think heavy about it, like a lot of this stuff is, it's hard to support in the current material conditions, but like they, they say you wouldn't like, what, what are you going to do? Like take away, you know, grandpa and, and grandma's, you know, pancake shop or something like that. And so essentially what we want to prevent and what I would argue back to that is that we can't allow grandma and Grammy as precious and, and nostalgic as we are for them, they still can't, they still, their labor or they can't, they still can't oppress, you know, their, their workers for their labor when they themselves are, they're really just, they're more than likely, they're really just the embodiment uh, and an image of that shop, to be honest with you. And a lot of these mom and pop shops, they don't, these people that, you know, it's named after a lot of them don't really do anything. They're just kind of like symbols, you know? Yeah. But, I was going to say, like, the thing about it is, though, is you also have to realize, like, the class antagonism is still at work in that dynamic, regardless of right. if it's like, regardless of if it's a, a, a mega corporation or a mom and pa shop. Now, mm-hmm. 
for like granted, I would rather have mom and pa shops than mega corporations, but you know, yeah, of course. But the thing about it is like, um, the, 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 even the mom and pa shops are taking advantage of the, the, um, the state's use of violence in maintaining that, that productive, that, that capital generating, um, you know, piece of land or piece of property or whatever right. it is, because like, right. it's incredibly weird to it, having property, like owning property, like as a, as a person, like a owning a piece of land is such a weird concept because like, it's, I mean, <laughs> the, you know, uncle Sam, when he formed into a sentient yeah. entity, he didn't, he didn't, create <laughs> the, he didn't create America. He didn't create the land that we're standing on, you know? He didn't right. whatever like we well, we I say America violently took it from the Indians and through that violent force mm-hmm. and when it became America it enforces those properties so now I right. pay I pay money to whoever right. owns that quote unquote owns yeah. that land it's my land now no one else can use it yeah. and so yeah. that the thing about it is like Marx doesn't believe in abolishing your home like that's so stupid like he doesn't believe in in abolishing mm-hmm. that he, he believes in abolishing inheritance of like being able to buy a mansion and and giving it to your kids so your kids are well off and well to do without having to work for it right without being productive members mm-hmm. of society right. and then also he he believes that you shouldn't um have capital generating property so like of course we have to have places to live we could set up a, a system where you know, we all get places mm-hmm. to live, regardless of if they're the same or not. We could probably mm-hmm. figure that out in like a, mm-hmm. a, you know, in a more depth in in depth right. thing. But we're not like owning an apartment complex is is ridiculous, right? Because that's you just own this mm-hmm. piece of land, and the state uses its mm-hmm. violence against people trying to take it. And then what happens is like, you know, those people just gain money from having to have enough money to begin with. Like it's so stupid. Yeah. And I was going to, I'm glad you brought up native Americans because I wanted to touch on them because we've, we've mentioned briefly in one of the capital episodes that like, uh, not only was it one of the earliest forms of what like fundamental communism was, but like the natives that the, that the, the white colonizers came in and stole from the natives didn't believe in even owning that land. Like it was like, the land you were taking technically wasn't their land. Like they didn't see it that way. They some, just felt that you were just taking land. You know, some like, of them did. Some of some of them. Oh, really? Yeah. So so we have there's there's Native American settlements that are that are rigid. Um, it's just like mm-hmm. it's just different. It d- just depends on the tribe you're talking about. The, like you have to realize right, you're talking right. about a bunch of different tribes too. Like it's like you know saying blanket term Native Americans. Um, right. It, right. It, right. It doesn't, you know, it's not all all one umbrella, but yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of a lot of them. Um, well, they were the land that. Let's say that it was okay. So yeah, they believed it was their land because you know they 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 were here first essentially, or they they this was uh, this was their home in the sense that like there was no one else here. Yeah, um, and they. I mean, I'm sure they had their own. They had their. They had their political problems, and they had their. Well, yeah, there was nations of warring with each other. Yeah. yeah, of course. But like that's that's. But I have to say this: to 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 use that as an excuse is ridiculous right. because the 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 history like 
if you look at throughout history, there's always been armed conflicts between neighboring nations right. and to use, and to right. say like, to say that, uh, like Europeans, uh, to, to say that Europeans coming in with their fucking attack dogs and mm-hmm. blunderbusses yeah. and shit was, was, it's, is the exact same as like, you know, two tribes duking out. It's kind of ridiculous. Right. Because like it is yeah, like a, the tribes, the tribes essentially like to them, it was just beef. Right. Would you say it was just like, Oh, like I got problems with this guy. Cause he well, wasn't mass. Or, it wasn't mass extinction on a ethnic right, scale. Yeah. Either. Yeah, it was, was just, yeah, it was, there was just, a lot was of like, little skirmishes, you know, there was a lot of rules involved and, and it was, you know, it's, it's different, you know, it's, it doesn't, one doesn't make the, uh, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the thing like um, coming over and cordoning off land was a, a lot of times was a foreign concept. You're right. Like with certain right. nations of, you know, indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, what were you going to say? No, yeah, I was just going to say like uh, one of the, one of the big movements coming from the natives right now is like a a land back movement kind of and it's a lot of people see that they're like in the first instinct you think when you know natives ask for land back like what what do you want us to do like you just want us to leave or you know that's the first initial the first instinct to somebody who doesn't understand it is to say uh um you know you just want us to turn it back over to you and you guys run it or something like that but what that that movement that I see out here and what I see in the, the red nation that uh, is the, the socialist uh, red nation movement out here ran by indigenous people in Navajo and he was, um, you know, in, uh, the natives here, they, what they mean by that is they essentially, they want the, the resources in the, the capital. I don't know what else to say, but like the, the, they don't want to live this, in abject poverty. How dare they? Yeah, exactly. They, they, they still don't. And it's funny because like, and I hate, I hate talking about liberalism because I don't want to sound like, I hate sounding like a fucking, you know, right wing crazy dude who just loves to just like spit. No, let's shit on liberalism. Malcolm, yeah, X, so like, Malcolm X said one of Malcolm X said, yeah. what's more dangerous? The wolf. He said, "What's yeah. more dangerous in the forest, the wolf or the fox?" He said, oh, "White liberals are the fox because you, they, right. they, they, you think they're smiling at you with their with their teeth, but they're actually baring their fangs." Yeah, it's it's liberalism. To, uh, the reason I think a lot of people are gravitating towards it and why it's dangerous, and and how, like you said, you told me before the election, you think that like all these years of neoliberalism under Biden, or I guess it's probably going to be under Harris before we know it. Yeah, um, it's it's gonna be probably way worse for a so it's probably way it's gonna be way worse for a leftist movement mm-hmm. than Donald Trump ever could have been. Yep, uh, and that's because it's all spectacle, and uh, you know, it's liberalism is about upholding. It's like it's I hate saying like it's a veal, but it is like a veal. It's like a it's like upholding a certain image of of equality and reassure you know like equality equal opportunity um you know no there's no discriminatory uh identity at all and um i want to get into identity about something like because i've been thinking about identity a lot lately uh but anyway but like yeah it's like we liberalism like champions these native people but liberalism also still treats them like shit you know who 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 do you think backs the people who champion those people 
right? Like it's not right. it's not the tribes. It's fucking yeah, big oil yeah. that's drilling, you know, right. like laying the Dakota Access Pipeline and and just you know poisoning like Native Americans' water supplies, yeah. like like yeah. some fucking movie villain shit, right? Like Biden and them support it, and mm-hmm. so does you know Harris and all them. Right, right. That's that's what Malcolm X said. Like you know who do mm-hmm. who who is more dangerous the the wolf that comes to the sheep or the fox mm-hmm. that comes with a right. smile. Um, yeah. yeah, so and, uh, but yeah, okay. I was just gonna say briefly about about identity and this big thing that's going on with it right now. Um, and you know, because we're also alienated, there's no there's no community anymore. And just touching back on you know what we said earlier about the people having their self affirmation experience, yeah, all yeah. that solid melts in the air, yeah, exactly. Um, it's like we community, community ties are now a, a, a signifier. Right. And we, we, the people who don't, I mean, there are communities, but not, not in a sense that like they're, we're, we're so obsessed and we're so, not that it's a bad thing, but it's important to understand identity, but it's also to champ, to, to, to put identity at the forefront of like a, an actual unjust movement. You know, I think, the way liberalism and capitalism work is in the sense is that liberalism likes to capitalize on the fact that we're all so obsessed with identity right now. Mm -hmm. And so like liberals want to liberals protect capitalism in the sense that they help the capitalists capitalize on our conversations and the things we hold dear. Yeah. Like we're being so stripped of everything else. We're being stripped of, you know, like uh, financial or just we're, 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 being just left hung out to dry well, and the only yeah. thing we essentially have is our identity right i hate to it's, tell you but, but like um but like uh kamala harris has right. as much in common with a person who lives in like the projects or whatever like a black person who lives in the projects she has mm-hmm. less in common with that person than like you or i do right like but, it's right, but, like exactly. it's based, solely based on the like arbitrary like phenotype of Kamala Harris or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's like this empty black woman signifier or whatever, but she's not like, you know, she doesn't operate within the, like she doesn't right. she doesn't care about their class. Like she put their class in jail. Like like she yeah. like and that's the thing with like Biden too. Like old good old Scranton Joe. Like he right. he has more in line with Bill Gates than any fucking dude from like mm-hmm. like any anybody like corn pop, like he doesn't he he's not corn pop yeah. he's not close <laughs> to corn pop you know yeah yeah but like, that's um, it oh um yeah the, anyway the machine i guess what i'm trying to and i can't the the idea is there and i know i know somebody's thought of it and maybe this is a, this is something that althuse kind of talked about but capitalism this form of capitalism that we're seeing today it even will still try to the capitalists will still try to figure out a way not to oppress you by your identity but to oppress you to uphold uh they will they'll oppress you to hold up a fake image of the importance of identity and not that it's important but the big conversations of the last decade have obviously been that you know it's the 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 BLM movement the black lives matter movement and then the big uh we we legalized gay marriage here you know uh mm-hmm. federally and so like the big 
the only conversations we've been having with ourselves, well, or at least at least liberals and you know, normal people, but yeah. you know, the conversations we're having have like just seem to be about what what well, what the media, the big media machine feeds us, and that's because and you know it's it goes back to alienation, but because it it pushes identity to the forefront of stuff like that, a, the capitalists and and, and the bourgeois will even. It feels like they're even finding a way to use what's important to us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like, I know, this is an idea that I, I know somebody's thought of already, but I don't know what the right term for it is. Um, but like, they're using our, they're using our conversations at the things we hold dear, and they're taking. Well, I guess it's just that's just simple race, marketing, I guess. Right? You know, the, like it's capitalism. Well, no, it, no know, the like, thing. Yeah, the thing about it is, like, you have to realize this too. Um, like, I'll, I'll say this, and then we can kind of like, you know, start talking about section three. Mm-hmm. But like, the biggest thing that, like, Mark. So I have this book, and it's like Marx and Engels is writing on the American Civil War, and right. Marx himself talks about how um, the the working man, the white working man, can't be free until the the chains are are lifted from. Right skin right and the, the thing is like in he's talking about slavery obviously and the thing right. about it is what he talks about and, and he marks and angles like wrongly and this is one time where they they got like hugely wrong they thought the civil war would be a great thing because when they freed the slaves they were hoping the north would mm-hmm. win obviously and when they'd free the slaves they'd realize like oh shit like um we need to we need to um we need to like we're wage slaves, so we need to you know like free ourselves from the, the the capitalists. But that didn't happen, obviously. The only thing that like Marx actually comments on this, he says uh, the the best thing that that arose from you know like uh, w- in terms of class that arose from the, the Civil War was mm. and, and the aftermath of it was that the working day in America got reduced to eight hours um, instead of like twelve, right? So so that's you know that of the horrors of civil war it's mm-hmm. like you know that kind of that kind of springs up but yeah you're right it, it's a it is like a marketing ploy because like the thing about it is like um people who are opportunistic right and in, in capitalism typically you know and they they kind of exploit or whatever mm-hmm. typically they they're the ones who make it and the thing is like what they do is they 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 say okay well you you know you could be an epic girl boss uh, you know, like Kamala Harris is an epic black queen girl boss. Yes. But like, she, like I said, she has less than, she has less in common with, you know, uh, yeah. like, like black working people than, than any, any white working person does. Like even racist mm-hmm. white working people have more in common with black working people than Kamala does. Right. Cause she's, she's a, again, she's a Fox, right. She, she smiles and she says, Oh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm, I represent this like one group, but at the same time, it's like, no, she doesn't. She put that group behind bars when she was a prosecutor, so she could further her own career. Yeah. Um, yeah so she, um, she she does that. I mean, the the smile she, she gives. Yeah, she, I mean, the smile she gives Joe. It's not. Yeah, it's not her smiling endearingly. It's like she's got fangs too, and like she's ready to. to she's ready to take over for Joe. Like you know, yeah. it's it's yeah you know it's she's I, she's she's ready for her chance, and she knows that yeah. she knows that. The the well, it, she knows she would just be sent to the moon. Like we would push her to the moon. You know, liberalism and and the the whole uh, movement, the whole and the whole post Trump period that we're in now will push someone like her. That so, sorry, someone point, that looks like her to the yeah, moon. Yeah, the whole, the whole yeah. point of the whole point of the civil rights movement was to abolish this 
this i this identities right like it was to abolish right. racial identities and now racism like racism is just woke right it's <laughs> right. like um, Segrega- but, segregation but make it woke <laughs> right. right so let's let's go ahead let's um let's go ahead and just run through section three really quick okay uh, we'll just do this one really quick and then we'll run through section four as well um mm-hmm. so he talks about the different types of socialist and communist literature um so the first one so he, he breaks it into different categories the first one is reactionary socialism it's uh mm-hmm. so it's it's so under this is a feudal socialism which is obviously, um, you know, socialism that was in feudal times. He talks about how Christian asceticism has a lot to do with uh, feudal socialism, mm-hmm. but like right. uh, he says, Christian socialism is but the holy water with which the priest consecrates the vexation of the aristocrat, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty funny. He talks about petty bourgeois socialism, um, which is uh, talking about. Um, he mm. he says it's reactionary and utopian because it wants this like return to, um, like uh, he said that he wants these like old, like uh, like monarchy. It kind of wants more of a monarchy type thing. And he talks about German or true socialism. Mm. Um, and he said a, a quote true socialism, um, which is is influenced by French. And he talks about the the French the German philosophers who. Or he said would be philosophers who yeah. seized upon these writings that were from France. And he said the work of the German literati consisted solely in bringing the new French ideas into harmony with their ancient philosophical conscience, or rather, annexing the French ideas without deserting their own philosophic point of view. And what you get is this bastardization, um, right? He said the French mm-hmm. literature was completely emasculated because instead of writing on top of the French literature, what happened was that these German philosophers, the the German, uh, mm-hmm. wrote like essentially wrote uh, not on top of them, but took the French literature and and put that on top of the German philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. So he says that there's it doesn't um, it doesn't throw traditional anathemas uh, anathemas against liberalism, against representative government, against bourgeois competition. Bourgeois freedom of the press, bourgeois legislation, bourgeois liberty and equality, and a preaching to the masses that they had nothing to gain and everything to lose by this bourgeois movement. It's a mm-hmm. true socialism, thus served the government as a weapon for fighting the German bourgeoisie. It at the same time directly represented a reactionary interest, the interest of the German petty bourgeoisie. Right. So there's conservative or bourgeois socialism. He says... This section belongs to economists, philanthropists, humanitarians, improvers of the condition of the working class, organizers of charity, members of societies for the prevention of cruelty to animals, <laughs> temperance fanatics, hole and corner reformers of every imaginable kind. It has been worked into complete systems. He says, in this we may uh, cite Proudhon's philosophy de la misere as an example of this form. So this he's talking about um, the, the philosophy of poverty. In this, they wish for. He said, "This is this is um conservative or bourgeois socialism re- wishes for a bourgeoisie without a proletariat." So, in this regard, he want they want to elevate everybody to the form of bourgeoisie, but the proletariat. Um, obviously, you can't have the bourgeoisie without the proletariat. Right. So that's bourgeois socialism. And then there's critical utopian socialism and communism. Um, mm-hmm. 
he says, uh, let's see here. The founders of these systems see the class antagonisms as well as the action of the decomposing elements in the prevailing form of society. But the proletariat offers to them a spectacle of a class without any historical initiative or any independent political movement. So the proletarian is essentially uh, in a utopian, critical utopian socialism and communism. It bears an inverse relation to historical development. So it takes the proletarian and like we were talking about with um, we we're talking about with um, the identity kind of elevates it to a level of signification mm -hmm. that has no historical development. And that was section three. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The, and uh, section three, my favorite little quote about section from section three is one of them is the, uh, um, the essential element between socialists and communists and, one, I mean, obviously we see this because we we see the the phobia around it, but they really attack almost uh, every principle of like what you know our 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 societies uphold, like under capitalism. You know, they they essentially for, it really is like an attack on those fundamentals, and that's and because it's and that's why I think they're cast under this crazy, you know, it's radical thinking, and so you you have these ideas and it's because of the class struggle throughout time you're seen as this you know someone with crazy fundamental ideas because your ideas align with they, they directly like attack everything that other people live under you know like it, it's an attack of society as a whole and the conditions that capitalism upholds um mm -hmm. so yeah and that, that kind of just puts it in a light you know it really is i mean that's why radicals from this era were like you know, we're, we're crazy radicals over here because, you know, we just want to attack society. That's, that's us, you know. I mean, the fuck ever. We just don't want to. <laughs> we just don't want to be fucking poor. Yeah. Like, honestly, everyone in, in America could be middle class. Everyone in the world could be middle class. But, you know, mm -hmm. Bezos has to have his other billion dollars. So, mm -hmm. so uh, let's see. Section four is the position of the communists in relation to the various existing opposition parties. Um, so basically, yeah, this was, this was just a lot of like, uh, it's a tiny uh, section. It's, it's three pages. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the one, and of course it ends with the, the, all the, the great quote about workers of the world unite, you know, working, uh, working men, men of all. Yeah. 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 Because it's, uh, it's, it's well, really a world to, but they're chains. They have yeah. a world to, mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, it really is like, it's, it's an opposition, you know, it's, and the only thing I really took from those those few pages is that it's just like it, it's such an to to non radical thinkers and to people who kind of like don't think radically or see leftist thought as like an actual uh, they don't fundamentally understand the the underlying reasons and ideas behind it. They just see it as they just see it as this big opposition to like society, and so um, you know these what it means to be communists uh, to most people it just means to be you know not almost i think i think communists and anarchists are like put too close together by normal people yeah yeah know? no i i agree with that um definitely uh cuz one is like anarchists believe in like certain anarchists right anarchy is not a viable i don't think it's a viable political tool um because anarchy 
at least in the traditional sense, is abolition of power structures as they are mm-hmm. versus communism, which is workers own like the means of production, which is workers have control mm-hmm. of their own value and no one is is profit mm-hmm. like like the people are profiting off of themselves, not necessarily mm-hmm. like which is, you know, what like a tribal which is what a commune would be, you know, it's like mm-hmm. everyone works, you know, to the best of what is it like each each according right. to his ability, each according to his need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I kinda I guess I guess I just kinda with one of my final thoughts and just to throw it out there as another quick talking point. Um do you think that the social the social and economic inequality here I'm just using the United States right now. Well um, that's that's what we have a have a uh uh what you call it a, a model for right like that's we live right. here so it's obviously you know gonna right, be right. our model so under this under this model um do you think the this do you think the disparity between do you think there's such a far enough like oppressive like force between the workers and the capitalists do you think there is so much distance between do you think it's it's do you think it's got to get worse before like an actual before a general strike or any kind of actual collective you know worker movement where we just shut the whole fucking country down like do you think it still has to get way worse before something like that could happen or do you think like the spark has already kind of started so i I guess let's just with the knowledge that we've taken from this manifesto and the ideas that that Engels and marx you know gave us now I, I basically just want to apply that to where we are now. And do you think mm-hmm. that there's so much alienation between the the between you know proletarian journeyman worker whatever the the two opposing forces and the class struggle? Do you think the class struggle is has got to get a little bit worse before it can happen, or do you think we're already pretty close? Um, I will bring in my favorite novel of all time um, to help address this. Uh, perfect question. Perfect. Well, that's, yeah, we're going to use another book in a book club. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and this is kind of a, it's funny because this is a very, um, this is a very, this is why it's my favorite book, which is it's a very high school mm-hmm. reading of the book. But one of the right. biggest, th- the biggest themes of The Great Gatsby is that the, uh, the, the greatest lie ever told in America is the American dream, right? There is no such yeah. thing as the American dream. So people yeah. always, people always, joke about that being a theme of the great Gatsby. But I think one of the, I think one of the best things and, and people don't talk about this enough about the great Gatsby is that the fact of the matter is every single character in the great Gatsby is a piece of shit. Like yeah. Yeah. every single person in that book is a massive piece of shit. Daisy's a piece of shit. Nick's mm-hmm. a piece of shit. Tom's a piece of shit. So is a uh, fuck. What's her name? Uh, Jordan. Jordan's a piece of shit as well. Everybody in that, mm-hmm. that book is a piece of shit. Now, here's the thing. Ready? The best character in that book is the guy who kills Gatsby. Right? Right. Because, and here's the thing. The the myth of Gatsby, the right, the myth of the great Gatsby, is that he's a self-made man. So he says, hey, mm-hmm. hey, I, you know, I, I acquired my fortune, blah, 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 right? This, that, one, the other. The thing, well, the thing about it is, it's not, the, the the moral of the story, and this is what's like really I think bad about the the Boz Lerman movie of The Great Gatsby, is mm-hmm. that the moral of the story isn't that like 
Gatsby, uh, like when Gatsby dies, it's that like, you know, he, he has like no one there and it's not like this, uh, it's not a sad, it's not supposed to be like this sad thing. It's supposed to be a sobering moment, which is that Gatsby had all this money. He acquired all this wealth and he got nowhere with it in the end. Right. right? He was going after this, this woman. But the thing, the, the greatest takeaway for me from the great Gatsby is that the only person who works hard for his, his, his money is the, uh, fuck, I can't yeah. remember his name. Now, the mechanic who kills Gatsby. He's the only guy that right. actually works for his money because he he works hard. He w- works in this mechanic shop. He buys and sells cars and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he's a self made man. Whereas Gatsby is this, is this guy who experienced the dust pole, right? Who right. who just happens to find this guy who takes him on this boat and then grants him all this money, it's, right? Yeah, like that's a, so. This is what. So long story long, I want to say is like the the American dream of like actually making it is is a lie because you know um mm-hmm. obviously the guy who kills gatsby doesn't make it right he kills gatsby and then kills himself but what i'm trying to say is that that lie is so ingrained in our particular culture that mm-hmm. i don't think that i think our society would collapse before there would ever be any type of um class movement i think our i think oh yeah so you I, think I, like full you full dystopia you, you think we would reach a full like dystopian I think it's it's worse than that. Oh yeah, I think it's I think it's way worse than that. I I said this the other day, and 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 uh, someone actually was like, "Wow, that's you know, it's pretty smart." I said, "Americans in America is too stupid to go out with a bang, right? Like as an empire." I said, "At least like when Rome was burning, Nero was playing his fiddle, you know, (laughs) like our like the fall, the crumbling of the American Empire, which we can see already happening now." And the crumbling of like just our what like I guess Western quote unquote society as a whole um, is is going to be so retarded like it's going to be so stupid because like it's it's not going to be like this explosive like dystopian like cool like we're all scrounging for scraps or whatever we're all duking it out in the churches it's going to be like us all like staring at computers all day like eating bugs like it's just going to be the dumbest right. possible collapse like dystopia you can possibly imagine like all the dystopian novels make the dystopia seem way too cool for what's actually going to happen and oh, that's yeah. the thing like it's it's there's this quote i can't remember who said it but it's like you can either choose communism or barbarism and i'm just like i don't even think it's going to be that i think it's just going to be so fucking stupid so feckless and right. dumb that it's like mm-hmm. we can't even imagine it right now and that that's Right. It it's obviously kind of nihilistic, but as a as a Marxist, like as a like mm-hmm. a Marx like a person who who reads Marx and who thinks Marx was right about most things, uh, um, you know, and and like once once communism, right? Like as a, I think communism, right. I think communism is a viable political tool, but I you have to kind of go with the historical development. I don't think right. I don't think anytime soon, like. You know, if we could live for the next, I don't know, a couple hundred years, I don't think communism would ever come in any country in any significant manner. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still, I think it's still a thriving ideology. Like I don't, I don't discount communism completely. I have hope that we could try and stop the spread of neoliberalism, but right. I think neoliberalism is just kind of slowly creeping and that with global combined with globalism has just created this untenable capitalism that 
has to right. pop eventually. And I'm not an accelerationist, so I'm not like, oh, this 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 crumbling capitalism is going to produce socialism. I don't think that at all. I don't I don't think that's how mm-hmm. socialism will develop. The only way that it can develop, and the reason why we do the podcast and stuff is, I think, I think the raising of a consciousness. There is no class consciousness consciousness in this country. No. There are disparate movements of people trying to raise class consciousness, whether you're leftist, post-leftist, whatever the fuck you want to call yourself. There are people who try to raise class consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, I think that what will happen is eventually we'll get to a point where we can have um, a discussion of, I think, we can, I think, almo- I think almost we kind of have to abandon communism, like as a concept, I think we need to, yeah. I think if we, create a political movement that is out of communism right that forms out of marxism that isn't mm-hmm. that isn't you know labeled with those terms that aren't those baggage then we can have a viable future right. but without capitalism but i don't know how that you know, i'm too stupid right. to figure out how that will work yeah <laughs> i the there is no class consciousness but the what our what our consciousness and i think what's going to happen over there's no mass class consciousness. I, sorry, there's, I, I yeah, want yeah. to clarify that. There's no mass class consciousness, but there is a mass consciousness about. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say consumerism, but there's this consciousness about like the way we consume, right? Instead of just even thinking about uh, uh, class consciousness or any kind of economic consciousness movement or just any kind of economic change the consciousness that we're going to see more of for uh that i think the the neoliberal neoliberalism is perfect like i think joe biden is the perfect like image of neoliberalism you i know? think Kamala harris is the perfect image of neoliberalism actually well yeah they both are but like i mean like but i i so- think i think kamala harris even more so because she was like the least popular candidate couldn't even win california Right. right, and then yeah, she's exactly. going to be fucking president. And what's right. funny to me, and I, I've said this multiple times, and I'll say it multiple times until it's not no longer ironic, is that if Kamala Harris is the is the first female president, mm-hmm. if she's the first POC female president, she got there on the corpse of a dead white guy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's what I was. That's exactly what I was going to say. That. Dude, like that's that was my going to be my point is that that's the perfect. I think that's the perfect combination of neoliberalism and capitalism. You know, yeah. like those those two forces working in that sense in tandem. Yeah, just created this this crazy spectacle of what we're seeing before us. And you know the the uh, like you said the the people who just kind of they don't they're not bourgeoisie, but this, they they uphold and protect bourgeoisie ideas. Those mm-hmm. it's perfect that. It's like a it's if it's crumbling before us, it's 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 Joe Biden because he's literally like withering away. Yeah. So like, so either what they're gonna do is if if Kamala doesn't ever jump in, they're literally gonna have to like pump steroids into Joe Biden to keep him alive for four years. So yeah. like, I feel like that's what capitalism does to neoliberalism is it it just keeps pumping IVs into it to try and keep it alive. You know? Yeah, neoliberalism is the the governing yeah. ideology of capitalism, right? One's right. an economic system, and one's an ideology. So, right. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's we give have... our let's give our final thoughts on the manifesto, <laughs> and then let's talk about what we're reading for the next mm-hmm. the next book club. So, so um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You want me to go? Okay, I'll go. Okay, so manifesto is, and I think 
I would tell somebody, and I probably will start telling people this, that the first thing you should do, and we've said this before, is just kind of get a general idea of the difference between uh, um, a, a communist system versus a capitalist system. Get those ideas in your head. Try to understand the fundamentals of each one. Then jump into what a communist manifesto, what it is and the history of it and why, what kind of radical thinking it embodies. And then I would say read Capital. Um, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if you're in Marx, like if you're doing Marx, like we are right now. Um, but I would say, I think, I mean, we did, we did okay, but I mean, we had read the manifesto before, but I think the manifesto really does kind of lay the groundwork of what, or it just, it, it's the framework of a class system, you know, it's, uh, that we've seen throughout all of recorded history. It's the, it's the understanding the framework of it, what upholds it and why it's unjust and why it's unethical and, you know, so on. And I think it's, it really is, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice little pamphlet that I think everyone should keep around. And I, I even wanted to say this, I should have said this at the very beginning, but wasn't the Communist Manifesto, like it was blacklisted or you couldn't get it at a certain point here, right? Or could you, yeah. no, yeah, you couldn't get it in the United States at some point. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right on that. But um, but yeah, so there's a there's a reason it was, uh, um, I mean there's a reason it was it was locked up like that and wasn't mass published here and you know it was on the banned book list or whatever. I mean it, it, it's very radical thought from two guys that met up in Paris and you became these thought leaders and and they they collectively put these ideas in and they all mutually agreed that this is good for what a this is good for the proletariat as a whole. And like we said, so, you know, learn what those, those keywords are. And I think if you want to learn what those keywords are, if you want to just understand those important keywords that we see across all of Marx's, you know, presence on the internet and media and stuff. um, I think it's just like a nice little introduction to the ideas, but it really just kind of reinforces what we already know about communism too. Yeah, I would say if anyone's interested in reading this, I would recommend reading this. Okay, this is what I recommend, right? I recommend reading the Communist Manifesto, right? Right. Read it. I'd recommend it the way I did it, which is like obviously. I'd recommend reading the Communist Manifesto, listening to the secondary things, right? Whether that be right. videos or or you yeah, know yeah, watching yeah. videos or reading more on Marx or Marxism or whatever. Read Capital then reread the communist manifesto because I think, I think the manifesto in context, because I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive that the manifesto was written before capital. In fact, I, I'm going to say I'm like 98% positive. Um, but yeah. I would say that um, the manifesto is obviously important in Marxist theory, right? It's important in communist mm. theory. Um, obviously it's like one of the most important texts. But capital gives you an understanding of capitalism that the manifesto does not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the probably an important part to understand, too. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the manifesto okay. does kind of introduce um, communist thought, but at the same right. time, like, capital helps you realize the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the inner workings of capital. So I would say, you know, it's a good read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very short. You could read it in an yeah. afternoon. Capital um, was published in 1867. The Manifesto was published in 1848. So Capital was published right at like, uh, you know, 19, American Civil War, American Civil War era for our for our model. You know, around what was going on here. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah the manifesto was just about right 17 years before it yeah yeah so yeah um so i guess that was our that's our discussion of the manifesto so do you want to austin do you want to talk about what we're going to read next oh yeah we're uh state and revolution right are we doing state yes. revolution next okay yeah yeah so i got that we're so taking we're we're taking yeah, a break. From yep. We're, we're taking a small break from Marx. We'll come back to Papa Marx one day, but uh, we're taking just a small break from Marx and we're going to read um, Lenin's uh, state and revolution, which is a text that I have yet to read. So mm -hmm. uh, much like the first book that we read, which was capital uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good, you know, journey through, uh, through Lenin, which I've never actually read. So so yeah, oh, yeah. So, I've, I've never I've never read it either, and we're also and then we're gonna do uh, German ideology, right, or German philosophy? What yeah, so we can yeah we can uh, the we we can do um well we'll do we, we know we're doing state and revolution. We're not hundred yeah. percent sure what we're gonna do next um after that, yeah. but because uh, okay. we have a couple of different options. But uh, yeah, right. so we will uh, okay see you guys next time for um state and revolution. We'll we'll figure out. I'll, I'll post on Twitter and stuff too. The people who mm -hmm. listen to this follow us on Twitter too. So I'll post on Twitter what exactly cool. sections we're reading. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us for our um, talk of the Communist Manifesto. So, see you guys later. All right. Peace out.